0: Okay, uh, everybody, um, a very warm welcome to Mary Zoll, who will be speaking to us about listening in graceful perspective. You're hearing too much from me today. I'm supposed to be listening. (laughs) Um, What I'd like to speak about today is, um, is the importance of listening. We can't, we're not, I'm not gonna be able to do much more than that, but just to hopefully, if you catch a vision of how important this is and how um, accessible it is, then um, that's the beginning to uh, having, you really have to be converted to wanting to be a better listener. It's that, it's that basic. Um, you know, Burt Backrack and Hal David had a song um, quite some time ago, it dates me, that said, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, no, not for some, but for everyone. And I feel that way about, um, about love, what we need. And, and the, you know, But the, the question is, how do we get there? Sorry. <laughs> um, How do we get there? We need more love as a nation, we need love between nations, we need more love between groups of people, male and female, black and white, old and young, the list is endless. We need more love in families, between husbands and wives, we need parents between parents and children, between siblings, and especially adult ones. Everyone, from politicians to preachers to teachers and parents, bemoans the polarization that we have in our culture. And not only do we differ in our opinions, we seem to have hardened in our positions and often demonized the other side. You will hear this everywhere. The diagnosis often carries with it, though, a note of despair or cynicism. So I don't certainly don't have all the answers to our dilemma. But I do want to suggest one possible first step towards beginning to bridge the divides that we see everywhere. Um, perhaps you know a different divide will you know bother you more than others. It might be the political one, or it might be racial, or it might be closer to home uh, between a parent and sibling. Um, whatever it is that you're uh, concerned about, bridging this uh, this gap with more love. One wor- one fact that's worth highlighting is, lest we give up before even attempting, is that Jesus was pretty clear on this. Um, He said that loving those who love you is no big feat, no big deal. He said we are called to love our enemies and to pray for those who spitefully use you. In taking this first step, then, I am proposing, I believe, we are on the road to loving our enemies meant to be one of the marks of the followers of Jesus. It was sort of his first use of the law, no option here. Um, before I get into the substance of the, pro- of, the propos- of the my proposition, let me tell you just a little bit about my own story with the, in relationship to listening, uh, because it is a story of conversion, as I've just said. Um, back in 1994, which now is seeming like a, you know, a Quite a while ago, 30 years, we were living in Europe while Paul was doing his um, studying for his PhD. And a former seminary professor of ours named Anne Long um, had written. I saw on a book table in a church we were attending in Zurich, Switzerland, a book called *Listening*, and it was it was by Anne. And from that day, I bought the book and I started reading it. I was on a path to learn more about the kind of listening that Anne wrote about. As Christians, she calls us to the importance of listening to God, to others, and to ourselves. I attended a week-long course that she taught um, in order to become a tutor of her program. Um, But as with most things, I took this on because I knew I was not a very good listener and I wanted to become a better one. Uh, I think probably especially as a parent at that point. Um, so I followed this, this material, and for the past 25 or 30 years, I have been teaching it in various um, situations. Listening well, as I said in my introduction, <clears throat> is a skill that can be taught. There aren't many that can be taught, but listening well is a skill that can be taught, and it has more healing power than anything I know. This is what Anne had discovered in her. In her, she was a she was just a natural counselor, and she taught counseling to clergy who were in seminary. And she found that the listening part was the most important and powerful part. And so it's, it's that powerful, but it, at the same time, it's seldom practiced. Just listen to conversations anywhere. Um, so my question for you, you're here. Do you, um, obviously you want to become a better listener or maybe you wouldn't be here. Do do you really believe that you can become one? And is this something that you have talked to God about? Uh, Sort of that Walmart mirror he was talking about last night, it, um, it might reveal that this is something you need to work on. Anyway, it's something that can be learned, but it does require, as I said earlier, a willingness to sacrifice any expression of what I think temporarily. St. Francis said, A person has not yet given up everything for God as long as he held on to the money bag of his own opinions. I'll repeat that. A person had not yet given up everything for God as long as he held on to the money bag of his own opinions. And Romans 12 says, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, Good listening is nothing less than a conscious sacrifice of my need to express myself or to be heard by other people. It's a simple, effective, much needed way to be Christ to the world. So what constitutes good listening? There's a new bestseller, relatively new, it's been out a couple of years now, um, by uh, a New York Times reporter, journalist, named Kate Murphy and this is it's entitled you're not listening what you're missing and why it matters she learned the value of listening and in interviewing all kinds of people and she realized the main thing she realized that, that when she asked people what it what a good listener what it meant to be a good listener they kind of she got blank stares she didn't hear much about what it meant for a good listener. But when she asked people about what it felt like to have a bad listener, what bad listening was about, she got all kinds of, inform- uh, you know, lots, lots of information back, lots of feeling uh, in the words of what it meant to, have, to be encountering a bad listener. So I hope that we can at least at the, at the start establish what it feels like to you when someone listens to you. And uh, also, I know you'll be able to tell me what it feels like when they don't listen to you. So I'm going to use this whiteboard over here for a minute. And um, I want you to tell me the words that come to mind of how it feels when you are not listened to. And I'm going to write them down, just so we can see what that looks like. So this is not listened to. And then after we do that, we'll do what it feels like to be listened to. Okay, we're talking feeling words. Frustration. Frustration. Disrespect. Disrespect. Unimportant. Unimportant. Uncaring. Uncaring ignored, angry, invisible, because you know that's how you feel when you're not listening. Did you want to say something now? Not worth talking. Not worth talking. Not worth. Invisible. Yeah, invisible. Yeah. Right. Worthless. 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 Worth, useless, worthless. Okay. All right, you You've got the idea, right? <clears throat> A lot of power there. A lot of power there. Okay, now let's look at the other side. How do you feel when you are listened to? Yeah. Valued, Value. affirmed. affirmed, loved, yes. loved. cared for, accepted. What? Accepted. 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 No. 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 Sorry. Known. Understood. What? Understood. Understood. Interesting, important, important. Love. what, see, love. love, we've got love already right here. not written there really with the okay, yeah. E, communion. communion? in communion, okay, good what, good relationship, good, good relationship, Okay, you see these words. Okay, these powerful words as well. Look at the power there is here in the difference in being listened to and in not being listened to. So we have that ability. We have that ability. We encounter people all the time that we're either listening to or not listening to. So they're either feeling loved and important or useless and disrespected and invisible. That's a big difference. That's simple, okay. We know it then, we know that this is important just from our own experience. Um, I love this cartoon, Mm -hmm. can you see it? Your problem reminds me of how I want to talk about my problems. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that great? Hits it. Um, Okay, so now you you get the idea of what these words, um, of what the power is. And that's just from your own experience. You know that this is important. This is the first step, actually, in, be- in becoming a better listener when you realize what you're doing or not doing and the power that it has. Um, and I think it's the first step in bringing together this world that we have, this broken world. The second step is to become aware of the patterns we have which impede good listening. Megan, you've got the um, handouts. Okay, we're going to talk about some of the things that people do. I could let you all come up with these, but I've got a great list, so I'm just going to go through it. And, and, and there's a handout here for you to, um, uh, to talk about some of the things that we do when we're listening that keep us from being this good listener that we want to be. Okay, the first one is interrupting interrupting. We often listen to a person with the intent to reply, which not to really hear what they're saying. We're thinking about what we're going to say when they stop talking. And we. it can even be with a, the right question um, or comment rather than allowing them just to think out loud. It's unbelievable how common this is. But even we can even interrupt without verbally interrupting by mentally interrupting somebody in what they're saying because we're not following what they're actually saying. So interrupting that is um that is a no-no if you want someone to feel listened to. The second point is something that comes up especially often in um in long-term relationships like marriages. Um, Uh, and Kate Murphy talks about this brilliantly, and that is assumptions. We make the assumption that we know what the person's going to say, so we basically shut them off. We might as well have earplugs. We know that, oh, he's going to say the same thing he said a hundred times before, and so we shut them off, and um, it's it's a way of not listening, we may be listening for many, you know, for something re- repetitive. But you might ask yourself, instead of shutting them off, saying, why does he keep saying this? Why is this a theme? Maybe he doesn't feel listened to in this area. Just, just maybe. Okay, this, the next one is reassurance or minimizing. How do you feel when someone says in a falsely reassuring way, what you have on your mind is really not that big a deal. I mean, it really could be so much worse. How do you feel? Or when they say, one day you're going to look back at this and see, and be grateful for what has happened. Or they say something like, time just will heal all wounds. Just be patient. How do you feel when someone comes back with that kind of platitude? You feel shut out. You feel like, what I have to say is not important. So reassurance and minimizing, it's done with the intent of, by the way, most of these come under the heading of the listener is uncomfortable with what the person is saying. So is doing something to cope with that, being unco- that way of being uncomfortable. So when you reassure or minimize, it's because you don't want to hear it. And so you're trying to lower it. You're trying to diminish it. A, third, a fourth one is to interpret. And that's when you put words in somebody's mouth. Now, some of you may have been taught that this is a good way of listening. And somebody goes on a tirade and you say, gosh, it sounds like you're a little angry about that. Well, that can just absolutely shut them down. If you interpret what somebody is saying, rather than repeating back their own words, if you repeat back their own words, you're in you're, you're in. But if you interpret and put words on what they're saying, they will immediately say, no, no, that's not what I said. <laughs> that's not what I meant. Or they'll just shut up and not, not talk anymore. Um, another thing that a lot of people don't realize, the, the intent, um, and again, the, sometimes the intent of these is very good, but in practice, it shuts it down. If you think of a conversation as arrows going back and forth between the listener and the, the person speaking. When you ask an informational question, your goal with the conversation is to let that person talk enough so that they get to an emotional, deeper level. And when you ask an informational question like what was the diagnosis, Paul would come home from the hospital <laughs> often as after visiting people in the, in the church and where they'd had a baby. And I said, well, what did they have? He said, I don't know. <laughs> and I said, why? He said, because I don't ask informational questions. They didn't want to tell me, so I don't know. <clears throat> same with a diagnosis, or same with, um, you know, if you say, which nursing home? You've just taken it completely. You think you're communicating interest, but you're really being in, showing interest in something that's not important to the person speaking. The goal of good, good listening is to let that that speaker get to a level of those feeling words, actually. And to get it out of the head, the minute you ask an informational question, it pops right back up to the surface and you stay on the surface. Um, So don't ask informational questions. Just, you know, because you don't need to know. They're telling you what you need to know, especially emotionally. Uh, The next one is distraction. The minute you glance at your phone or leave a television on in the background or anything other than full physical presence and eye contact communicates that what you have to say is not as important as something else in my life. Anne Lamott has a funny thing about phones. She said, only if you're waiting for a liver transplant is your phone needed on the, t- on the table at dinner. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> that's just, just think about that. That's why if you're really intent on listening to put away the phone or at least put it on airplane mode. Um, the next one is also something that's meant, it's intended as empathy, but what in fact it does is, is put the, um, the emphasis back on the, on the listener, not the speaker. And that is when you tell, the listener reminds you of something in her own life and then launches into her story. Oh, I had back pain. Don't ever tell anybody about your back problems because they'll always tell you what they did or who they know or whatever. I mean, the same is true with with babies and miscarriages. And I mean, you you just don't wanna go there. People think they're being empathetic by saying, I had that happen too. But in fact, it takes the attention away from what the person is saying and puts it back on the listener. So don't tell your own story. Most conversations are simply taking turns talking. And I don't know what I meant by Margot and Emma here, so forget that. I meant to cross it out, and in, in one version I did. That's not real listening, taking turns talking. Um, people have taken me up on this, but I stand by it. Don't tell your own story. I had this happen with somebody um, at one point we were in Philadelphia at a at a, uh, a church, and this woman started, t- I asked, you know, where where did you grow up, or what, what what's your background, and she said, oh, I grew up in Central Florida, and I said, oh, really, that's nice, um, uh, where, what, what, you know, tell me, tell me about that, and she said, oh, well, I grew up in Winter Park, and I went to All Saints, and that's where I met my husband, and blah, 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 and I just said, oh, that's, that's really very interesting. I never said, I grew up in Central Florida. I never said, I go to All Saints Church. I never said any of the things that would have brought, you see what I mean, it would have brought it back to me. It, it, it you know, some people would say, well, that would have established a common ground. Well, it was more important to find out who she was and what was really going on with her. Uh, so if I would talked about my experience, it would have just shut her down. Okay, the next one's a biggie, and it's what we've been talking about and alluding to many times already in this conference, and that is giving advice. No giving advice. The listener often feels uncomfortable with the feelings that are being that are coming to the surface as someone is talking, and especially if it's someone that's close to you, if you're if your child. Uh, is having trouble in school and says, well, actually, I haven't really turned in my homework and I haven't been going to class and you're listening and you're saying, oh, and I'm paying for this. Oh. <laughs> um, <clears throat> we have, a, you know, whether it's, it, it affects us directly or not, we have a great need to help people. We want to help people because we're uncomfortable with their being uncomfortable. Uh, That's what we were talking about earlier about surrendering them to even to suffering, so our desire to help or um, when it's not even when it's asked for, it's all about the listener. Okay, next point. This is this is true sometimes in 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 church circles, and that is um, when a a Christian feels it's imperative that they quote a Bible verse to uh, comfort you. And, of course, the old chestnut is Romans 8, 28, um, all things. Never mind. Oh, you remember, every, all things work together for good. That is the worst thing you can say to somebody who's suffering. They can say it themselves later, but you, as the listener, do not have the right to say that. They can say it later. Um, it's true. A lot of these things are absolutely true. I'm not saying they're not true, but we don't have is no need to give a word to someone who you really want to hear what's going on with them. You are doing God's work by listening to them. You don't need to add to that. Giving them a pat spiritual um, quotation often can shut them down and make them think not, feel not heard, feel that you've put them into a category of some kind. So just be careful about that, very careful. Um, third, uh, the next one is breaking confidence. And in Christian circles, this is often, often done. It's an absolute no-no if you want a, a, a relationship of trust. And it's often in Christian circles under the guise of prayer requests. A lot of gossip goes on that way. Just be aware, be aware. And if someone you're, that you think is listening to you does that, how do you feel about talking to them? You shut up. OK, criticizing or judge, judging them in any way, you might as well go home, because you've lost them, absolutely lost them if you say, well, no wonder, you know? Uh, <laughs> they'll, or they might just explode at you. So think about these patterns. These are, these are examples. I'm sure there are more, but these are the main ones, Are ways in which we become a bad listener as opposed to a good listener. <clears throat> think about your own patterns. Who is it hardest for you to listen to? I have a friend who can listen to anybody in the church. She can listen at a dinner party forever. She's a great listener in most situations, but she can't listen to her husband. She corrects him she doesn't want to hear his negativity and i just watch her it's just fascinating she can and i'm this the opposite i listen to paul all the time he doesn't know it but i do and um but but it's harder in a social situation to to not want to jump in or whatever and to, to just completely let uh, others have the floor so what is easiest for you and what is hardest for you um in your and what is your pattern what does something in that list jump out at you and are you known the clue is the, the the real test is how are you known in your family do your children know you as a good listener would they say that about you that you're a good listener everybody wants to be a good listener in their family and with their spouse and with their their closest friends and with their, especially with their children. If if you're seen as a safe place, you're going to be a, you're going to be a fountain of healing for them. A fountain of healing. Um, someone once said said to me not that long ago that when someone says something that's just totally outlandish and you want to just you want to erupt with no way. Instead, if you just reply, well, coming from where you're coming from, hey, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> they feel validated actually they feel heard and you haven't given away you haven't implied that you agree with them you're just saying i i get it from where you're coming from that makes perfect sense okay that's a, that was a counselor a well a well known counselor who t- told me that i thought it was it works like a charm so think about your own patterns do you like to give advice do you feel you're there to be a helper do you Um, love to quote scripture? Um, Do you like to tell your own story? What is it that you fall into? That's the second step. The first is to know how it feels to be listened to or not in your own experience. The second is to be aware of your own patterns of bad listening. And um, My husband, Paul, is, is uh, well-known in a local, another local church where we go. We, we go to a couple of churches here, um, and he's particularly well-known at this church. He's called Dr. Paul, and they love him because he just listens. He'll go to a food bank day, and he'll come home with amazing stories. He's, he really does sidle up to people and say, tell me about yourself, and he wants to know tell me about yourself what you know who where not just where are you from or but tell me what you know what what what's what's going on with you and these people absolutely line up to talk to him and adore him and it's it's just quite simply i mean he's adorable and he's funny and all those things too but nevertheless they love him mainly because he listens to them and they feel heard they feel validated they feel loved um you may be one of these people who's a talker. There are people out there who are just talkers. And the, the, the thing I would say to somebody who loves to talk um, is you're missing a lot. And I love that title of her book, You're Not Listening, What You're Missing and Why It Matters. If you're a talker and there is hope for you, if you realize if you realize that you're missing important things that people have to say in the relationships that are most important to you. Good listening means that I value anything you have to say more than anything I might want to say. Anything you have to say, it may be going on and on. You know, it's hard. Listening is hard. It's hard work. Um, It means that I don't interrupt I don't criticize, I don't minimize, spiritualize, tell my story, or give advice. It is grace in practice, one-way love, living sacrifice. Ann also discovered that, uh, my mentor, Ann Long, in, that discovered that a, the person talking usually knows what they need to do rather than um, needs advice of what to do. If you listen to someone well enough and deeply enough and caringly enough, it's amazing how they have within them the the, they know what they need to do. And if you give them the the graceful space in which that comes out, they will they will know what to do. And that's one of the questions that she ask somebody after, a, 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 after she listens to them is, what is the most important thing you have said? And that's one question. And the second question is, is there anything you'd like, based on what you've said, is there anything you'd like to do about that? And it's fascinating what people will say. First of all, when you ask them what the most important thing is, often they will say something that they haven't said. And it's because that's what's really been driving and when you ask that question, they say, well, actually, what I'm saying is that I'm very lonely. Or actually, what I'm saying is that I'm, I'm angry and I can't forgive that person. It's amazing how that, that question, what's the most important thing you've said, does. And the second one, is there anything you'd like to do about it? It's fascinating what people will come up with. Sometimes they'll come up with something that you think is nothing. But if it's a first step, it's on the way to healing no matter what it is, they're going to come up. A person is 10 times as likely to follow their own advice to themselves as they are the best, wisest advice from another person. You are 10 times more likely to follow your own advice if you say, well, this is what I would like to do. This is what I need to do. I need to pick up the phone and call that person." If you say that yourself after being listened to, the chances are you're going to do it. If someone tells you, well, what you really need to do is pick up the phone, same thing. You're not going to do it because of that rebellion factor. So in listening, you want to get to a place where the person can say, this is what I need to do. It's fascinating how they do come up with, with what they need, and that's, it's healing in and of itself. When Paul wrote this book not long ago, his last book, Peace in the Last Third of Life, a handbook of hope for boomers, and he talked a lot about Being listened to, about find some, as you're aging, I mean, this is what he talked about last night. What did he say? The first thing you need to do is find somebody to talk to. He wasn't talking about a therapist at that point. He was talking about somebody to listen to you, right? If your marriage is in trouble, find somebody to listen to. If you've got a problem child, find somebody to listen to. Whatever it is, if you're aging and you're having a hard time with it, if you're having body issues, as Jane was talking about, Find somebody to listen to you. That's the first step toward healing. And Paul writes this in this book again and again about find somebody to listen to you, blah, blah, blah. And I said, after he wrote it and I read it, and I said, where are they going to find these listeners? Nobody's listening. I just listened to conversations, um, you know, listen in on conversations. And um, so as a result, I wrote, he asked me to write an appendix on dedicated listening for, um, for people who are reading this book, and it's an appendage in in here. Um, and it's a it's a shortened uh, form of what I've just been talking about. We, believe it or not, we actually do this from time to time in our own marriage. When we know that we've got an issue that we're stuck on, we don't know what to do about, um, we're puzzled by, or we're you know, mainly... Often it's, par- it's paralysis, I will say. Often it's paralysis. I just can't get... I'm, I want to know what the right thing to do is. So I ask, I say, Paul, I need you to listen to me. Now, this may seem artificial, but I swear it works. You set aside, you can even set a timer for 15 minutes or 10 minutes if you want to, but you set aside a time where he is going to give me total dedicated listening, total one-way listening. He's not going to interrupt. He's not going to ask questions. He's just going to listen to me. And at the end, he's going to say, "Um, now, Mary, what is the most important thing you've said? And then I will come up with an answer for that, and he'll repeat it back to me. And then I'll say, "Um," and then he will say, well, is there anything you want to do? And often, that's enough. I've figured it out. It's amazing how you come up with that advice to yourself. (laughs) And it may be that I need to go get somebody to talk to it may be that i need therapy. you know, that may be the answer that i this is this is a big deal and i need i need some more help with this. that that may be what's happening. anyway, whatever it is, we actually do this and it's an appendage in this book that has a shortened form of what to do and not do in order to have that in your relationship. and i recommend it. i even do it with with friends sometimes unofficially. you know, i just will I will realize that some I'm having lunch with a friend, and all of a sudden I realize, ooh, she's got something going on, and um, I need to just, this is not going to be a give and take. Uh, this, is a, this is a one, she needs somebody to listen to her, so I just shut up completely and just do the listening thing and let her talk and talk, and then at the end actually ask these questions. And I've, I, I've had this happen so that it, it really does, um, it's a healing experience. It's a truly healing experience. So it doesn't have to be a formal setup. It can also be something that, um, and I'm gonna give you an example of how this happened and then I'll close. Um, I had um, this happen unintentionally recently. Um, I had sent an ill-conceived email to someone who was upset terribly, almost violently. I knew the minute I hit send, it was a mistake. (laughs) Have you ever done that? I had written what I really thought, or I would said what I really thought, and I sent that email. And despite the fact that I had apologized later um, in an email, not face-to-face, he called me to talk it through. Uh, I saw the name on the phone. Oh, shoot. What (laughs) a gulp. Okay, gathered my courage and said a prayer and answered the call. And then I listened to a fire hose. Of anger and hurt for at least 30 minutes. This is important. This is an important relationship. I apologize sincerely again, Uh, although, of course, I'd been partially right. That's why I'd hit a nerve. Uh, But nevertheless, I did not come back even at the unjust and untrue uh, accusations. I just listened only reiterating my apology, but never reacting to the unfair accusations. It was hard. God was with me, though, and I just let him vent and vent and vent until he talked himself out of that fight-or-flight freeze place. It's actually a brain thing. He was actually caught in a uh, sympathetic nervous system response to me, and once I had listened long enough, it, he was able to move from that position of emotional reactivity to the rational frontal cortex. He was not able to before. He had to get that out and was able to move to the rational frontal cortex. It's a brain thing. It really is. And at that point, I noticed it was almost like there was a, a switch flipped. By the end of the conversation, he was apologizing to me and saying how much he loved me, and that was why my email had hurt so much. If I had reached, if I had reacted to the unfair accusations, the conversation and broken relationship would have escalated and ended badly. Instead, I had gained understanding and compassion through listening, actually. I'd learned some things, and he was deeply reassured and comforted by my response. And I, I believe me, this is not something I want to live through every day. It was not fun. It took a lot out of me, but I knew that I had seen the power of healing, of listening. I had another example of this with one of our children as so we was we were driving to the airport, and. Um, this was some years ago, and he was telling me about how his plans for his girlfriend after she graduated from college in a couple of months. He said, "Now we're going to move to Boston and we're going to live together and see what our relationship is—you know, whether it can stand the test of time." And and um, he just telling me all these plans. And again, much to my surprise, it was a Holy Spirit thing. I just kept quiet and I just listened to what his plans were, and he let him, and he said, he turned to me, and he said, Mom, what do you think I should do? Great opportunity for me to say exactly what I thought. Bad idea. <laughs> but instead, I was given to say, well, I know you care about her, and she cares about you, and you're." You know, you're grown-ups now, you're adults, and I feel certain that you will make the right decision. And he told me, he actually told a friend of mine several years later, he said, at that moment, I grew up. At that moment, I grew up. I had not told him what to do. I had done that pulling away thing. And um, it was just listening. It was just simply the power of good listening. Now, I've given you a few examples. I can't say that these happen every day, but that's the goal. And if we don't listen to others in this way, it's very hard to know what's going on with ourselves. Learning about our own listening patterns is one of the ways that we listen to ourselves. And we say, uh-oh, I'm really having a problem with this. And this is this this can be a a, a can help you in your relationship with god you can bring these to god saying i why is it that i can't listen to this person this person drives me crazy why can't i listen what's going on we can learn about ourselves in that way and also we can learn to listen to god i think there's a quote from bonhoeffer who says um that if we, can, if we don't listen to other people, we will soon cease to listen both to ourselves and to God. Because if we, if we're, they're all of the same piece is what I'm trying to say. It's an attitude that we want to have. We want to have an attitude of being a listener in this world, of listening to God, listening to others, and listening to ourselves. They are connected. You will not be able to listen to God if you're a bad listener to people. You won't. You will not have an attitude of listening to God. If you are good at listening to God, it will be much easier for you to listen to other people. Um, And if you don't listen to yourself, you won't even know what to pray for. So that, I love that verse in that Sandra McCracken song about being more like a tree and a hummingbird who have the still center that's really what we, that's, that's how we become better listeners. Um, how we become, listen, how we listen to God is by finding that place where we're able to stop talking and value the other person and listen both to God and to them. When you're with Ann Long, you have this amazing sense that she is listening 100%. She's not distracted, she's listening to you and she's listening to God at the same time, and you know it. You absolutely know it. It's the closest thing I've experienced to what it must have been like to be in the presence of Jesus. He was able to listen 100% with total concentration to whoever was in his path, and at the same time, he never lost contact with God, and that's our goal. That's the kind of person I want to be. It's that still tree that's able to do both things at the same time. Thank you very much.